There are countless ways that we can make an impact when it comes to addressing the climate crisis. Some of the steps we can take are small, but others have the potential to really make a dent in the goals set by climate leaders. On this episode of IT Visionaries, we wanted to dive into some of those larger scale, hugely impactful projects. So we brought back Patrick Flynn, the Vice President of Sustainability at Salesforce, and we welcomed Scott Tu, the Executive Director at the Center for Energy Efficiency and Stability at Train Technologies. One of the major areas both men are looking at to make a difference is in data centers, which, if retrofitted to become more efficient, would eliminate massive amounts of emissions from being pumped into the atmosphere. They explain more about that topic, as well as other ways individuals and businesses can get involved in the fight against climate change in this discussion. Enjoy. This episode of IT Visionaries is part of a special series on sustainability. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Take climate action with a pre-built carbon accounting solution and gain insights into your greenhouse gas emissions. Learn more at salesforce.com slash solutions slash sustainability. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, host of IT Visionaries. And today we are joined by two special guests. First, Scott, how are you doing? I'm very good. Thanks for having me. Patrick, how about you? Doing well, Ian. Good to talk to you again. Indeed. I am excited to talk about sustainability. This is part of our sustainability series, um, and we are uh, excited to, to get a little deeper in the weeds with both of you. So let's start out with you, Scott. Tell us a little bit about your role in company. Yeah, like I said, I'm happy to be here this afternoon with you. Um, I'm Scott Tu. I lead sustainability for a company with a new name, Train Technologies. On March 2nd, Train Technologies entered the world with the ticker symbol TT, and it is a climate innovation company. And our brand promise is just that, helping to transform an industry and solve the climate impact or the carbon impact of climate change in some innovative ways. Part of um, the work that me and my team are doing for the company is really around integrating sustainability and how we actually do business. That's everything from product design or redesign to how we engage our people to how we think about solving customer issues. And so can you expand a little bit on that? You know, what what does it mean to be a, a climate innovator? It seems like this is obviously uh, the time is now and more important than ever. Yeah. So first, I probably should explain the train if our, if the listeners aren't completely aware. I'm, I'm saying T-R-A-N-E. So train is the HVAC or comfort systems company that provides comfort systems for large commercial buildings. In fact, one out of every two commercial buildings in America is a train project. We also provide comfort systems and building controls for the home and residential market. And then lastly, we we have a company called Thermal King, which is the world's largest transport refrigeration company. That's the company that brings you fresh food. We deliver 60 plus percent of the world's fresh food. So if you have fresh strawberries in the refrigerator, other fresh foods like meats, it's highly likely that Thermal King and our trained technologies solutions have brought those fresh foods to a market near you. With those things though, and why it's so exciting is that with all of those products and solutions that we're providing, we're really touching a large portion of the world's needs around 
uh, fresh food, obviously, and the resources needed to keep us comfortable in buildings. So that's everything from energy and the pull on energy that those systems uh, require, as well as just a quality of life that I believe that the world's rising middle class is expecting. And so later I'd love to talk about how we're thinking about those solutions in the future. But the last thing I wanted to mention is that so for so long, I think companies like mine and many others have thought about sustainability in terms of its operational footprint, meaning by choosing a supplier, adjusting your manufacturing footprint, but we're thinking way beyond operational footprint. And our new company is going to spend a great deal of its time, of course, operating with the, the least negative impactful footprint, but we're going to work a lot harder around how do we help our customers in their footprint. And what are some of the organizations that you all work with? What's kind of the scope of the work that, that you all are doing? We work with a lot of organizations. and I guess you mean more than just customers and customer footprint for us is, is really broad. It's almost any building in the U.S. and many in the world. So you can think about large customer footprints like, uh, for instance, a large hotel chain. You can also think about uh, your corner pharmaceutical Outlet down the street from you could be your your nearest retail or uh, mall. It could also be the restaurant that you'll eat dinner in whenever we're all back in a time where going out to a restaurant is a a thing we do more commonly. So our customer footprint's very broad. As a company also, I think that uh, we work in part of these solutions are not delivered just by us. We're working with a lot of great non-governmental organizations to develop and to either redesign or to design a system that allows us to do the things that we do in a different way in the future. So there are lots of those groups. The World Environment Center in DC is a great resource for us. We're working with World Wildlife Fund on things like refrigerant management issues. We also work with, uh, with a lot of advocacy groups who are working on the policy side of sustainability, which is equally important. We have a unique thing about our supply chain and that we actually use a greenhouse gas as part of our solution. So refrigerants are regulated greenhouse gases. They're regulated at both an international level through treaties, as well as at a national and a state level. So advocacy and ensuring that we can transition to to, uh, refrigerants that have a much smaller environmental impact, even down to a zero impact, it's important that we do that in lockstep with policymakers. And so we work on that side of the house as well. You know, Patrick, in a previous uh, on our previous discussion, and by the way, great to have you back as a uh, as a multi time guest here. Um, but on it's a previous episode, <laughs> I know our uh, our sustainability correspondent here. You know, we talked a lot about climate change and some of the urgent you know needs to do this. And I'm curious, just like about that that level of telling other organizations how they can plug in. What is some of the impact of this um, and how we can leverage technology? How are you viewing specifically how organizations and technology can help shape sustainability? That's an awesome question. And I'm glad you asked it because it it brings me back to something that I love about Scott that he said earlier, which is they're on this mission to think so much bigger than just four walls of trained technologies. And that's something that we espouse here at Salesforce as well. So the climate crisis is the biggest 
most important and most complex challenge humans have ever faced. And it has a degree of urgency to it, unlike anything we've ever seen. Winning slowly is the same as losing. And so any, any company, any individual for that matter, that aims to be a leader in this moment in time needs to deliver impact or aim to deliver impact at a scale that planet Earth will actually notice. And so for leaders like Salesforce, trained technologies, we're thinking about the levers around us that are far bigger than just our four walls. And for, for Salesforce, just like trained technologies, our customers are a really important stakeholder group for us to enable that, that large-scale action. You've had it on the show earlier, a deep dive into sustainability cloud. That's our greenhouse gas accounting platform, our climate action platform, and it's allowing our customers to understand their own climate action destiny, figure out what are the big important levers that they can pull around them and drive change as well. Uh, on top of customers, we also think about other big levers around us from government affairs and public policy to the investor community, our supply chain, like Scott mentioned, but especially within the supply chain, not just thinking about what we buy, but mobilizing our suppliers and their corporate-wide efforts for climate action. I was just going to say, I like the whole concept of mobilizing, Patrick, because I think that's the, I think the most progressive companies are thinking about not just the words behind things or just the concepts, but also how do you how do you pull others along or mobilize them to use your term, which is a great uh, concept that we also are putting in front of us, which is how do you mobilize? How can one company mobilize an entire in industry, for instance, to your point about mobilizing the entire value stream or the supply chain? Because that's really what's needed. Yeah, you know, and it's been a, a part of Salesforce's sustainability strategy by necessity for quite a while because we don't own any of our offices except for one. We don't own any of our data centers. And yet we know we need to change how offices and data centers are operating because that's a big part of how we do business. So we've had to go to the data center providers and the landlords and, and have an indirect influence model, and then hopefully get them to then go to train technologies and ask for new products and services to help the entire building or their entire portfolio of buildings make progressive change in the right direction. Well, and for our listeners, you know, many of which are, are CIOs and CTOs, technology leaders who have things like data centers that they manage, like what are some of the best practices there that people can leverage. God, you want to take it first or me? Yeah, no, I think we both have something to say here. Number one is you got to make sure data centers are operating as efficiently as possible. <clears throat> Obviously, HVAC is a huge consumer of energy and data centers, the cooling of the data centers and servers themselves. 40% uh, of electricity used in the U.S. Is, is consumed by buildings. That's even a higher percentage by data centers, if you think of it on a data center level. And within that data center, a great percentage, many times 40% or more of the energy is, is for the HVAC. And so, you know, if you think of it that way, that's HVAC alone in a data center is equal to roughly 16 plus percent of the carbon or energy emissions produced. And so we have to do more than just adjust the uh, energy use, but that's number one. It's always step number one. Well, whatever we're talking about, buildings, automotive, we got to first make sure that what we're talking about is 
operating as efficiently as possible before we move on to the other items, which I sometimes call the shiny objects. We have to first make sure it's operating efficiently. Yeah, and I think for the CIO listeners out there, data centers and offices are just so rich with information to gather and make sense of and to optimize underneath. You know, before taking on the head of sustainability at Salesforce, I led sustainability for a data center company. And unexpectedly, I found myself with a team of data scientists um, trying to stitch together all the data from the data center, how the, the usage patterns of customers um, that would show up in things like network traffic or power draw and trying to figure out ways to design the data center more efficiently next time. You know, we would say the greenest data center, just like the greenest office is the one that you don't need because you find capacity elsewhere. And so we were on the hunt for things like that, trying to find stranded capacity, trying to optimize the the cooling going on in the, the chiller plant, the HVAC systems. And so it's just a fascinating and large amount of data coming from buildings and data centers um, that often isn't scrutinized to find the value that sits there. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, and, and on top of what Patrick mentioned about building design, there is a huge role here for technology. I mean, once it's operate, it's not going to operate efficiently enough until we overlay whatever equipment's being used in the building uh, with some really nice things that we can do with automation, building automation, the management systems, and even data analytics. Uh, we're, we're able to now overlay things uh, almost at the artificial intelligence level on top of all these other systems that allow us to tweak the energy usage of a data center. And in real time, we're able to gain even a greater percentage of, of, of efficiency at the data center level just by using some cloud-based data analytics, which of course is near the sweet spot of Salesforce. Yeah, now you're really speaking my language. <laughs> Plus, you know, I, I owe Train a, a big thank you. I found my way into a career in sustainability somewhat by accident back in New York City designing the HVAC systems for high-rise buildings and hospitals. I know some of the folks at Train there um, who helped me along my journey. And it was actually the fact that as an engineer, you're able to see the information breakdowns and the incentive breakdowns that go into creating and operating a building. It was, it was that, those, those breakdowns that really captivated me and grabbed my commitment to a career in environmental leadership. There's, if you think about the journey that a building goes through from a designer, engineer, the architect, the developer, and then all of those stakeholders may actually fade into the background and you end up with an owner operator. You've got tenants into the picture. So many stakeholders, each with their own different incentives and um, with different amounts of information about how to operate the building properly, that it's just a right place for finding energy efficiency and ways to do things more responsibly. Yeah, and that's why I say, Patrick, that a lot of times that people overlook what I call the the things that are not really the new shiny objects, it's, you know, making a building, whether it's your home, whether it's uh, the building that you work in, whether it's something like a data center that serves a community, it's making those efficient, it's retrofitting them so that they're as operating as efficiently as possible. 
these are the really important actions that every community has to take if, we point, if we're going to make the progress that we need on, on climate impacts and adjusting our use of energy and providing access to all the things that we enjoy today, but we do it in a way that's much more friendly to the environment and climate. Yeah, it hit me like a ton of bricks during that time of mine in New York. I was living in an apartment building and I realized I knew absolutely nothing about how to be a responsible tenant within that impar- apartment building for the, for the benefit of the environment. And that I would end up knowing so much more about a building that I was designing that I had never set foot in. There's a responsibility that comes with that as an engineer, as a designer, as an operator. Not everybody needs to understand how a building operates or what's going on within the building that they work or live in. But those who do have a chance to influence need to step up and do so for the better. Yeah, I agree. I'm curious about individual initiatives because it seems like one of the ways that you know you all have had success is around things like, you know, one trillion trees uh, or initiatives like that. And I, and I want to talk about the Gigatron challenge. And then later on, we'll, we'll talk about Project Drawdown. But it seems like some of these initiatives are really good ways to get folks engaged uh, around very specific problems. Can you talk about like the success of those types of initiatives or programs? Yeah, I mean, this is Scott. I'll, I'll go first just by talking about the gigaton challenge since you brought it up. I mean, the, the world currently emits roughly 50 gigatons of carbon emissions a year. And we believe that there is great potential for the world to reduce the amount of emissions that are, that are part of our annual emissions footprint. One of the ways which I've already mentioned is beginning by reducing the emissions footprint of the built environment. And that's everything from data centers to the home that you live in, to the building you work in, to the retail shop down the street. 15% of global emissions come from buildings at a minimum. Uh, the people at Project Drawdown have done a really nice job of trying to characterize the footprint of a variety of pathways to solve climate issues and retrofitting buildings is in the top 10. And doing so is a direct solution for reducing the annual emissions of the world. Our company sort of the potential, our potential both in the built environment as well as with the solutions that we have already in the marketplace to reduce our customers' footprint by at least one gigaton of carbon. If that's a new term for some people, then I, well, I can characterize it this way. A gigaton of carbon would be equal to the annual emissions of the UK, Italy, and France combined. So we're talking significant amount of carbon emissions. Wow. We, we believe by doing that, that if we can show the rest of our industry how to do that, we believe we can, we can bring them along with us. And by doing so, we get an exponential impact in the marketplace and for the, and for the planet. And so it's an exciting commitment that we're after. It's currently the largest single commitment of any company in terms of a customer-facing carbon reduction commitment, but we are totally on board with this because it's the sweet spot of our innovation ideas. It's the sweet spot of the solutions we already have in the marketplace. And and we know that uh, over the next several years, as we put more and more technologies and partner with more and more people like Salesforce and others, we believe that uh, the gigaton is not only possible, but we believe we can go even further than that. Yeah, and while we're, while we're talking gigatons, I'll jump in as well. 
you know, the scientific community talks about a remaining carbon budget for planet Earth. And the way they think about climate models is they can um, issue a probability of a certain rise in temperature Celsius. So right now we are at about one degree Celsius above pre-industrial levels. On average, um, we're already seeing the devastating impacts of climate change. If we want to have a two-thirds chance of sticking to only a one and a half degree rise in pre-industrial levels of temperature globally, then we've got about 350 or 400 gigatons left in our carbon budget. That's how much we can continue to put up into the atmosphere. And then it needs to drop to zero. Um, and yeah. so the, the, the glide path um, that, that looks different than just running off a cliff and driving it to zero in seven or eight years is essentially cutting carbon emissions in half over the next decade, cutting them in half again over the following decade by 2040 and driving them to zero in 2050. And so at this point, drawdown is, is talking about a few different levers that we have to pull to tackle this emissions challenge. One is reducing the sources of emissions, and that's a lot what Scott and I were talking about here. The other is finding ways to draw carbon out of the atmosphere and enhancing those carbon sinks. And that's where a project or an initiative like the Trillion Trees Initiative comes into the picture because we know we can get started planting trees and conserving forests right away. And we know that if we can get a new, another trillion trees on the planet, that through satellite imagery, we know the planet can handle that without disrupting the land needed for farming or for livelihoods or for dwellings. We can, we can handle another trillion trees and that would provide about 200 gigatons of carbon sequestered out of the atmosphere, effectively buying us a little more time and buying us a little more budget for all of the carbon reducing activities that we know are really priority one and need to happen. But we're at this point where we need to do every good idea that we can in parallel because time is so short. The upside here is that we don't have to wait around on some kind of magical solutions or technologies. We have enough in place today to solve a huge piece of our footprint issues that Patrick just mentioned. That's not to say that there's not a lot of work to do to hit the, uh, the budget needs, but you know, we, we don't have to wait around either. There was a time years ago where we didn't have enough technologies. We did not have enough information to do what needs to be done, but that's, not, that's no longer the case. Yeah, and furthermore, we're not talking about executing these strategies in a way that um, hurts the economy or hurts human livelihood, just the opposite, whether it's changing our buildings or the way we move from place to place, how we capture and distribute energy, the transformations that are happening at the global industrial level makes people make people's lives better. They strengthen the economy, they supercharge the economy, um, while also delivering the environmental impact that we know we desperately need. Yeah, I think it's such a critical piece that you talked about how we have all of this technology right now. Like, obviously, there are people working on other types of exponential technologies that can help with this, um, with the various different levels. But a lot of this stuff is available right now. And it's about, you know, kind of doing the work. I'm curious about the other program that we discussed, Project Drawdown. I'll just say a few words, Patrick, if you can give some of your thoughts too. Sure. 
here's what I like about Project Drawdown. It, it, it's simple language meant for all of us to understand. I think sometimes climate, climate impacts, climate change, emissions, all these things are really, they're far off, they're complicated. It's hard to understand what, at a personal level what, what you can do, what should be done, what needs to be done. And uh, the Project Drawdown team, they have really, they simplified all that for us. Uh, they get it right down to a personal level. It's 100 pathways or 100 things that we all should be focused on and doing. They rank them by order of impacts, meaning there are some that have a bigger impact than others on, on uh, solving climate impacts, it's climate change, and, and some, but all of them are very important. And there's something there for everyone, which is what I really, I really like about it. And uh, the, the website, uh, you can find the website by, by searching online. And the website is chock full of examples, ideas, and just enough background for everyone, whoever the reader is, to understand why it's an important step to take. Patrick, I'm sure you have some other thoughts. Yeah, I'm a, as you know, I'm a big fan of Project Drawdown as well. I think for those who are coming to that term for the first time, Drawdown is going to be a historic moment in the history of the planet. It is defined as the moment when concentrations of atmospheric CO2 begin to decline for the first time, when our sinks each year are greater than our sources each year, and we start to head in the, in the right direction. And just like you said, Scott, it's, it's a captivating research undertaking and book because these are solutions that have been aggregated based on the science of one of the largest scientific studies ever, an aggregation of, of the science around things like wind energy and different methods of agriculture and refrigerant capture and destruction. And um, they're there for the taking, uh, all quantified, ready to go. So anybody looking to engage in the, the climate adventure ahead, you're not late, you're not unprepared grab a copy of Project Drawdown or go to the website, find something that aligns with what you are an expert at already and jump in. The most important thing any of us can do right now is, is join an effort that is much bigger than ourselves or have our company join an effort that is much bigger than just the four walls of that company. Well, and I think that this is really critical. And for those of our listeners, you can just go to drawdown.org and, uh, there's a button that says table of solutions. We'll link it up in the show notes as well. Um, it's really cool. Um, you can like, you know, you can look at the different solutions that they have. So, you know, reduced food waste or onshore wind turbines or plant rich diets or managed grazing and all these different things. You can click into it and you can see the impact that each of these have public transit. And I think that part of the problem with sustainability We've talked about it a lot throughout the course of this mini series here on IT Visionaries is like this idea that it's just really complicated. It's there's so many moving parts and a lot of people, I think, feel very lost in, you know, like, I don't know anything about, you know, methane digesters or, you know, I mean, I recycle, you know, every day, but uh, I don't know how much that matters or, you know, just all of those things. I think, you know, Drawdown is a great um, visualization that kind of speaks to that. But I think that the complexity of the problem and being able to 
like we are kind of saying here, find the thing that your company can help with or you can help with and, uh, and make a difference. Yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a menu of adventures there for you that are all real. They don't rely on some new technology. Of course, technological innovation is going to be helpful and we are going to get better at all of these things, but we don't need to wait to take action. Yeah, a recent uh, survey that I, I saw some data on just last week said that when asked, when you ask homeowners what uh, actions they should be taking to do their part around uh, climate impacts and climate change, only 4% said something about adjusting something in their own home. Most of them, to your point, uh, think about things outside of our homes, things that uh, should be done in our communities, things that should be done in our neighborhoods, things that should be done at our state or country level. And uh, that's just not the case. There are steps that every person, homeowner, apartment dweller, whoever you are, that you can be taking personally that in the aggregate can have a big impact. I think it kind of feels like voting sometimes for people where it's like, the fact that for, you know, people who have the freedom to vote is, is you know, one of the greatest things uh, in humanity, um, but it still feels daunting if you feel like your vote doesn't count. Yeah, it's the um, same thing. Even, even though it okay. does, right? But, right? but again, your your vote does count. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things in when we did the Trillion Trees episode was talking about like the impact that one single tree, planting one tree has. Like it... It is an impact, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and that stuff compounds over time. And you know, fifty years from now, the impact is is much greater. But I think you know, when people have to vote with their wallets, I think that that's where you get some some challenges there. And now we're getting to cost cost savings that are no brainers. You know, obviously. Solar became a big thing. What what was that? You know, five years ago, and now everyone was throwing solar on the roofs where they could because they could see the cost savings. Well, that sort of stuff is great. Or you know, switching to LED bulbs, which you know you don't need to buy as much. So there's there's things like that that kind of feel like no brainers, um, but there's a lot of other things as you were mentioning. Yeah, and you know, back to the built environment, some of the best economic opportunities out there have to do with running our buildings, manufacturing plants, data centers more efficiently. And Mm. these are complex systems, as complex um, as almost anything out there. And yet we often don't have put them through the process of like a checkup, a check-in. And software can help. I know train software can help with that. But so too can bringing somebody in just to have a look at your home um, I'm sure your utility would offer that service for free, um, save you money on your bill, probably find a bunch of low, no cost opportunities for you to upgrade your home or your office. So, the, you know, a lot of the built environment levers that we have to pull are actually economically positive. And then I was going to say the, the point about like the ripple effects caused by individual action, think, just thinking about the importance of talking about what you've done and engaging in the dialogue and in the voting analogy, talking about the candidates and sounding it out and explaining your point of view in the climate action realm, talking about the decisions that you're making in your life. A lot of opportunity exists with our food choices and um, planting trees, 
adjusting the thermostat, changing behavior ever so slightly, and talking about that with your family, with your friends, and trying to catalyze behavior uh, changes from them as well. We're in the middle of kind of this three-tiered crisis that we've we've talked about, where there's a healthcare crisis, the global pandemic. Uh, we have an economic crisis, which you know kind of feels changing every single day, um, and then of course the climate crisis. I'm curious, like, how do you both think about resiliency right now? Focus on preparedness, preparation. You know, when there's kind of these immediate needs that we need to meet right this second versus the kind of long, uh, long-term needs that you know, obviously are extremely important right this second, but might not, might not be in the home, so to speak, as much as people might think. There are lessons being learned. And I think one of the biggest may be about resiliency, which is really this whole concept of how do I, how do I carry on in the midst of something that is bigger than I thought it would be? It's crosses every boundary. It, impacts every facet of our lives. And I think for people like Patrick and myself, for many years, we viewed climate impact as that. But it was always something way off in the future. And so at times, we, we may have had a tough time inside of our companies getting the right attention, certainly had the tough time policymakers taking action or the right level of action. We had tough time with communities and neighborhoods understanding that action was needed. I think that everyone now is a lot more clear about what it means to be resilient, what it means to think carefully about how every action leads it to a reaction. And I think now we are, we've been given this opportunity once we find our way back to some new level of abnormality after the virus crisis to th- rethink now what we should be doing around climate impact. I mean, we've called it a climate crisis for some time now. For the last year or so, we were using the term climate crisis. 11,000 scientists were describing untold suffering uh, within our lifetime even, uh, several years out. But it's sort of the same headlines we're seeing today around around the COVID-19 situation. We were using some of the same words around preparing for a climate crisis for the last several years, that's what the Paris Accord was about. It's what many countries have begun thinking through. Now, though, I think we've been given this opportunity to truly understand what it means to be resilient and what it might take for us to prepare for the next crisis, which may, for all of us, be a climate crisis. Yeah, I think we're we're learning what it takes to be resilient is exactly what was on my mind with that question. We're getting a global crash course in a bunch of the things that society needs in order to be stronger and withstand unexpected shocks with greater resilience. We're, we're learning to trust the science more, to act boldly today in a way that's consistent with how we will have wanted to act when we're standing in the future looking back on the choices we're making right now. Um, we're understanding from a business perspective our, our supply chains, um, our operations, the behaviors of employees, all with greater fidelity here now, all of, all of those ingredients go into a more resilient society overall, but particularly one that's poised to have an entirely different capability when it comes to the climate crisis. Yeah, what are you both doing in your organizations to practice that resilience? How are you just kind of on a personal level working with your teams to do that, Scott? One thing we're doing is we're rethinking some of our 
product designs. I mean, I think that I've, I've given some indication where we're thinking it in terms of not only the existing equipment that we provide to customers, but also how we offer that. And what I mean by that is it needs to be some kind of a system. It's a systems approach. And that's what we're seeing now in how we manage the virus. It takes a systems approach. It takes policymakers. It takes right down at the local level of your own family. And we're, we plan to do the same thing with how we serve customers in the future. It'll be a systems approach. It'll be in conjunction with technology companies. It'll be in conjunction with our supply chain and how we actually provide and find out, find the raw materials. So we're thinking right now about how do we, how do we source some of our raw materials differently in the future than we do today? Can we move away from some things we put in our products to something else? If so, what does that change in the ecosystem that we provide customers? Does it, can we do the things that we do today without negative trade-offs? I think that's a great question that any company could ask itself. Can we continue to do the things we do today without negative trade-offs? Meaning, can we continue to provide what we provide and in the future use less energy and not more? Can we do it in a way that is even more safe and not less safe? Can we do it in a way that uh, uses less raw materials and not more raw materials? So these are the questions that I think the most progressive companies are grappling with. And it may sound like we're doing it for the virus, but that's my point. It's the same thing with how we're going to attack this next generation solving the climate crisis. And we'll need to go through the same scenarios on how we solve that problem as we do today with the virus. Yeah, and I think um, it has to start with the individual. Scott, you touched on that. It's sort of the analog, even though none of us can remember flying on planes anymore, the, the whole, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first, right? We need to take care of ourselves and our teams at an individual level first in these times, because that's where it all starts. Um, you know, at the corporate level, from a climate change perspective, risk and resilience, Salesforce is one of the first um, supporters of what's called the task force for climate-related financial disclosures, TCFD. And jumping into that was, number one, a bit of a catalyst for the creation of Sustainability Cloud. Um, And number two, prompted us to do a climate change risk assessment um, and really enabled us to become integrated into the corporate enterprise risk management process uh, to look at climate change through the same types of Um, lenses and frameworks that the corporate risk team um, looks at any other business risk. And so I expect we'll see um, a lot of that now. First of all, the the enterprise risk and resilience teams um, zooming in on new topics that maybe they hadn't thought about as much before, and in particular, zooming in on climate change and understanding risk and resilience from from their skill set. Uh, I, we also, our company also reports with the TCFD framework. I think the early precursor to all that was something called CDP, which is how a company adjusted and publicly reported its carbon footprint. Uh, All of these areas of transparency and reporting, they lead to behavior changes. I'm convinced of that. So to Patrick's point, I think that uh, the move for all of us in providing more insights on what we're doing inside the company to adjust our own operational carbon footprint. And also the second piece of this is then what are you doing related to how you adjust your carbon footprint of those with your customers, which is our thinking as a company. This is the 
two pieces that I think every company needs to begin grappling with. Yeah, that's right. I couldn't agree more. We built the capability on the Salesforce platform to more quickly, accurately understand our own carbon footprint. And it was such a success that we launched it as Sustainability Cloud in hopes that um, anybody out there, any company, any city can use the Salesforce platform purpose-built for understanding one's um, climate change um, exposure and opportunities and figure out how to become more resilient, how to take action, to how to understand the levers that are unique to your own company just by having enough context through Sustainability Cloud to understand what your emissions profile looks like. Final question here, Scott. I'm curious, you know, although uh, Train Technologies is is a, a new name, um, I'm curious, you know, with a company that has had roots that date back a long time, I'm curious if it kind of gives you a little bit of a kind of that look out to the future, that sense of responsibility for a company that's been around as long as, as uh, you know, pieces of the company have been to look out into the future and say like, you know, what do the next hundred years look like for this organization and how can they, you know, help shape the world? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I think, I think maybe it does give us that, but I think that if it's a new startup company or one that's been around like ours for well over a hundred years, the catalyst, the, the change maker, in my opinion, is your willingness to step out and do something outside your comfort zone. We were there several years ago. We proved to ourselves that moving outside of our comfort zone, even being willing to do something and collaborate with people that people, groups, or companies we've not collaborated with before, what you get when you do that, what we learned was one plus one doesn't, is no longer equals two because there's this exponential impact that happens. And so that's what led us last year to begin thinking much more broadly about our impact, even our company changing an entire industry. And I think that uh, people need to be looking for companies. I think Salesforce is also one of those companies that's poised to change an entire industry. I think our, my company, Train Technologies, is poised to change an industry. That's what you're looking for. I mean, carbon neutral has become sort of the new ticket to the table. But, but we're looking for companies willing to go beyond carbon neutral. We're looking for companies willing to go to net positive. We're looking for companies who are looking to enhance their already solid programs they have in place, even things like diversity for their people. We're looking for companies that take parity to a new level. We're looking for companies that can think well outside their footprint, like my company, and you think, and you even commit to doing something for your customer's footprint. These things have not happened before. I think that's what we're looking for with companies. And so, yeah, maybe. Maybe it's for being around a while. I think the bigger thing is just this willingness to go beyond what uh, today's normal is to something you think will be impactful in the future. And let's start working on that now, not this incremental step change that we've been doing, but something much bigger than that. Yeah, I love it, Scott. You know, I think about a corporate sustainability lead right now, 2020, planet Earth. One of the worst things you could do would be to spend a lot of time and resources focusing on initiatives that only provide some sort of incremental forward progress. What we need now are the big initiatives, the ones that can really deliver impact at a scale that planet Earth will actually notice. And, you know, the point about longer standing companies, I, I think it comes down to values. And you don't have a company that's been around as long and 
as trained and as successfully unless there's a foundation of really strong corporate values. And that's what motivates and drives Salesforce's own actions in these times is adherence to our values of trust, customer success, innovation, equality. That's what pushes us and I think um, gives us the, the chance to work with customers and suppliers and other stakeholders from, a, from the basis of shared values. And we already know that from a B to C, you know, the end consumer, um, we're starting to see very clearly that a consumer makes purchases based on values. The, the logo on my shirt now says something about my values. And that same B to C values driven engagement is getting more and more into business to business interactions, whether it's with customers or suppliers, where two companies like Train and Salesforce see eye to eye on some really strong foundational values. Yeah, I love that, Patrick. I mean, our company, Train Technologies, you can go to the website, traintechnologies.com. You'll see there are uh, a new facet of our values as a company. And it, it's, it will say there that we're boldly challenging what's possible. I love that as a concept because I think that gives not only us the right to do that, but I think that's what we're looking for in partners like Salesforce is that can we work together to challenge what's possible? Oh, I, and I just love how much positivity there is in that statement as well. I love it. Awesome, gents. Thanks so much for uh, for joining today. Um, really appreciate sharing, sharing everything. Um, we'll link up all the stuff that we talked about in our show notes. Thanks again. Thank you very much. Thanks. Take care. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Take climate action with a pre-built carbon accounting solution and gain insights into your greenhouse gas emissions. Learn more at salesforce.com slash solutions slash sustainability.